Welcome to the Federation of Asian Canadian Lawyers, Faculty of British Columbia podcast. We are a diverse coalition of Asian Canadian legal professionals. We promote equity, justice, and opportunity for Asian Canadian legal professionals and the community. We foster advocacy, community involvement, legal scholarship, and professional development. The purpose of this podcast highlights the diverse and unique members of our community. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Gigi Chen Kuo is currently TransLink's Chief Operating Officer. She graduated from UBC Law and is an experienced leader with over 29 years in the legal and executive field. She previously held the position of General Counsel and Executive Vice President Corporate Services. She also served as TransLink's interim CEO from February to July of 2021. Gigi is the head of TransLink's Business Technology Services, Real Estate, Indigenous Relations, EDI, Internal Audit, legal services, corporate secretary, insurance and claims, privacy, and access to information functions. Gigi is a graduate of the ICD Rotman Directors Education Program and has served on a number of public sector and not-for-profit boards of directors. She is currently on the boards of Transportation Investment Corporation, Consumer Protection BC, and Union Gospel Mission. She also chairs the boards of TransLink's Captive Insurance Company and Transit Police Employer Entity. Welcome, Gigi. We're so thrilled to have you here today. Thank you so much, Fiona. Really happy to be here. (laughs) You wear so many hats at TransLink, and we're looking forward to asking you more about each of the various hats that you wear later on. But first, we like to start off our episode by asking our guest an icebreaker question. And so I was very curious about this. Gigi, what is your favorite method of transportation with TransLink and which route? All right. Good question. Well, I can tell you my current favorites. And then I think my all time favorite, my current favorites are the rapid bus R4 along 41st Avenue. And I take that to go to the office and I transfer at Joyce and then take the Expo line out to Sapperton Skytrain Station. But I would say my all time favorite would be when I used to live in North Surrey, I would take Skytrain into the Metrotown office. And every morning I had the privilege of going over the Expo line in order to have this beautiful view of the Fraser River. And I would always, no matter what I was doing or reading at the time, I would make sure I looked up and just took in the scenery and just appreciated the privilege of living here on the West Coast. So I would say that would be my absolute favorite part of the system. That's a fantastic answer, Gigi. Thank you. (laughs) I used to live in Richmond. And so Taking the Canada line from Bridgeport to Marine Drive also gives a very nice view of the river, especially during sunset on the evening commutes home. And I find it interesting that you touched on R4, actually, because I think I saw a recent news article that the rapid buses on TransLink are just starting to get free Wi-Fi service. Yes, they all have free Wi-Fi. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so not just rapid buses then? All the rapid buses. All rapid buses. Okay. We are in the process of rolling it out system-wide. So there will be a certain buses, SkyTrain stations, and also eventually the SkyTrain system as well. That's wonderful. Yeah, I look forward to having that. I know in Toronto on their TTC, they're not as fortunate to have reception and good service. And so having Wi-Fi in BC here, it would be a cherry on top. (laughs) Absolutely. We're very proud of the program. Yeah. And so jumping into our first question, Gigi, what sparked your interest in law and what brought you to transitioning in-house and how did you decide upon TransLink? Well, in terms of how I got into law, so I am a first generation immigrant to Canada from Hong Kong, immigrated with my parents and I'm the eldest of two in the family. And so when I was in high school, you know, the immigrant parents always ask, what do you want to do? 
when you grow up. And so in reality, there's a relatively narrow range of acceptable options that firstborn children can offer to their parents. And I love to read. I didn't particularly love numbers and I was squeamish about blood. So I think that pretty much points to law as the preferred profession. So that's how I got into deciding to go into law school. And so I went to law school at UBC here, and then I worked for a few years in private practice. And then after that, I thought that I wanted to try in-house, but at the time there weren't very many in-house departments. So there was an opportunity open for the executive assistant to the board chair position at BC Transit, Mm -hmm. which mostly entailed drafting correspondence for various dignitaries. And so I took on that role, but only on the condition that I could also be available to provide legal advice to management from within the organization. So the business units really liked the easy and early access to legal. So when they had the taste of in-house, that really gave me the opportunity to start first in-house legal department at BC Transit. And then I really found that I connected with BC Transit's public service mandate as well. And so I really enjoyed my time there. I transitioned to full-time legal, started the department, and then BC Transit became TransLink in 1999 for the Metro Vancouver region. So this year is actually my 30th anniversary with the organization. Congratulations, Gigi. And for your legal department now, can you allude to, I guess, approximately how many people you have in that department and whether there's plans to expand in the near future? So we've grown the department, I would say, slowly. So my approach is always to make sure that we have enough volume and variety of legal work to keep an in-house department engaged. So we do always rely on external counsel as well for specialized areas of expertise or for volume work that may come and go. And so I always staff for the valleys of work, if you will. Mm -hmm. We have over time grown to eight lawyers in the department. They really do have a nice variety of legal work. Yeah, that's great. I work at a firm actually that has seven lawyers and I think that's a really good size. So that's good to know. And then in terms of our next question, Gigi, your roles at TransLink include a wide range of job positions encompassing both legal and non-legal work. And I know you had talked a little bit about how you initially started as an executive assistant and you took the position on the condition that you would be able to provide legal advice. And fast forwarding to the present day, what's the split for you roughly and what makes your role so unique? So up until last February, I retained the role of general counsel in addition to my other executive responsibilities. But last February, I assumed the role of chief operating officer. And so I do have legal and corporate secretary reporting to me, along with the other business departments that you mentioned, but I no longer have the chief legal officer title. So currently, I don't really spend much time on the legal functions, but I am there to provide historic context and of course, to guide the decisions that need to be made in that area. Thank you. And you joined and you've stayed in the public transportation sector, specifically TransLink for quite a long time. I don't know if this is a weird question to ask, but I'm curious what has kept you there for all these years. It's been 30 years, so. (laughs) Yeah, in the blink of an eye, it goes by quickly. Mm -hmm. I would say what's kept me there is the work itself. The variety is just really, really interesting. And I would assume that it's probably a wider variety than I might have experienced in private practice. It's everything from constitutional law one day to licensing agreements to 
Indigenous relations. So it's really everything in between that we could encounter. And the variety is just incredible. So I think, first of all, the variety, and then also the people. I really enjoy the colleagues whom I work with. I really liked the culture, so I really had no reason to leave at all. Mm -hmm. And then I would say the public service mandate would be the third factor, is that the fact that I'm, in a way, making a difference in the lives of the residents of this region, including when we were new immigrants and we were dependent on transit and knowing how important it is for newcomers as well as seniors and those who rely on our handy dart systems. So there's such a wide variety of services that we provide to everyone in the region that it really speaks to me. Yeah, if I may share some personal experience, I feel like my earliest memory after moving to Canada from Hong Kong was actually being on one of those red and white buses with the blue seats. And there's still a picture of me wearing a purple dress sitting on one of those blue seats <laughs> on the way to Metro Town. I think it was like Boxing Day or something, but the transit just plays such a big role in everybody's life. And so I think it's a very meaningful position and obviously being able to work for a company that is that big in size and has such a big impact on a provincial level. I think that's really cool. And that leads to my next question. Gigi, can you share with us what a typical working day at TransLink looks like? I was thinking back about this week, I think, and really it's a lot of different meetings. So I think when the kids were little, then they used to say, mom, what do you do all day? Well, I'm in meetings, I'm talking to people and they're like, whoa, that sounds boring <laughs> to young kids. But really the meetings are, there's a variety of them. And so, you know, everything from one-on-one -on -one meetings with my direct reports to executive meetings where we make business decisions or topic specific meetings. Then there's board meetings, there's mayor's council meetings, and then of course, external meetings. So just to give you a bit of a flavor. So looking at this week, my week started with uh, participating in success walk with the dragon fundraiser. Oh, yes. where I was, uh, had the honor of representing TransLink there. TransLink was the transportation sponsor for this event. And we provided dedicated shuttle buses between Chinatown and Stanley Park. Mm -hmm. um, and then throughout the week, I would have meetings with on steering committees. So we have a First Nations Transportation Steering Committee that guides our work through some internal policy issues. We have accessibility policy that I discussed, and I provided some input on that policy that will be brought forward for approval soon. I chaired the TransLink Security Management Board meeting, and that is the subsidiary that is the employer for transit police personnel. Mm -hmm. I went to Tawasin First Nations site to tour their treaty lands for the purpose of discussing transit service improvements in their area. Attended an EDI task force meeting just yesterday, had various one-on-ones with direct reports and colleagues, and we had executive discussions around human resource philosophies and policies, corporate priorities and resourcing. So that just gives you a little bit of a picture of um, <laughs> a typical week or day might look like. Yeah. So extremely busy is what I'm getting, <laughs> but also working on various initiatives. And I liked that you touched upon having a meeting with the EDI task force yesterday, because we actually had some questions prepared for today's episode that we wanted to ask you more about. In 2021, we understand that you became the first person of Asian heritage to lead TransLink as you took on the role of interim CEO. So can you elaborate more on how the experience has been for you? So yes, it was, I would say, unexpected, nerve-wracking, exciting, and surprising, all at the same time. So thinking about that experience, unexpected because I had never thought that I would ever be asked to step into that role. Nerve-wracking because I felt as if 
There were so many things I couldn't do well that the role would require, including public speaking and presentations. Exciting because it was something completely new to me. And so I think the opportunity to try new things is always exciting. And then what I found surprising was that having experienced it, I actually really enjoyed many aspects of the role that I wouldn't have anticipated. So surprised Mm -hmm. that I was enjoyed the ability to lead the entire organization. And it really gives a person a greater ability to make a difference. So those are some of the aspects I really enjoyed, as well as the enhanced sort of interpersonal connections. I ended up speaking virtually because it was still during COVID times Mm -hmm. uh, with many employees whom I may not have interacted with otherwise. Right. And in terms of the EDI initiatives, you're part of the task force that you just mentioned. So Gigi, can you share with us some EDI initiatives at TransLink and how you've been engaging with them? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. So when I took on the role as Chief Operating Officer last February, the EDI department was moved from human resources to the COO role. And so I've had the front row seat in terms of watching the program roll out and guiding it as well. So in terms of covering some of the progress we've made since we launched the EDI program in 2021, it's really been quite encouraging. So we at the beginning, invested a lot in awareness training, including creating an online module for all of our employees to access. We also invested in women in leadership and developing them by partnering with Minerva. We've introduced an EDI policy for TransLink. We have started tracking applicants on an anonymized basis to self-identify, encourage them to self-identify if they are comfortable doing that. We have undertaken inclusion surveys to hear from employees. We also have launched an inclusive leadership program where we recognize leaders within the organization who have exemplified inclusive leadership traits. Mm -hmm. We have also embedded EDI into our exempt performance objectives and executive performance objectives. So that is on an ongoing annual basis. We've created a number of employee resource groups, and I happen to be the executive sponsor of the caregivers resource group, and I really enjoy working with them and finding ways that we can make the workplace, I would say, better for caregivers and enhance their ability to marry sort of work and home life as well. Yeah. We've also looked at the communications that we have externally. So we've looked at where translation services might be helpful. And so I'm very proud to say that through that work, we now do have translation services available when people phone into our phone lines. Mm -hmm. We are looking at how to incorporate EDI into our procurement strategy. We've rolled out gender neutral washroom signage at TransLink. And we've also implemented Indigenous internships in our BTS department. So that just gives you a bit of a flavor of some of the things we've been able to do on the EDI front. Yeah, that's incredible. And it just goes to show that TransLink does really prioritize EDI and just seeing and hearing about all the initiatives that you're currently working on. That's great. And I really look forward to seeing some of this in action. Gigi, what are some unique challenges and exciting moments of your job? That's a really good question. When I think back then, one of the early sort of highlights was the transition from BC Transit to TransLink back in 1999. That involved a lot of effort to effect that transition, including a new statute that would govern 
what was GBTA, Greater Vancouver Transportation Authority, as we were known at that time. And then going on from there, there has been various transit expansions, including the Canada Line project. We also did, in terms of challenges, have funding challenges from time to time. And so, again, I was with the organization sort of helping with whatever needed to be done to overcome those funding challenges. Mm-hmm. I also have supported the governance structure and all of the different model changes over the years as well. Fast forwarding to more recent times, I'm very proud of the fact that we have launched our first real estate development program, and that is under my portfolio as COO. And mm-hmm. we have our first project that we announced recently at Broadway and Arbutus. And we then, of course, as with other organizations, we had to live through the challenges of COVID and the drop in revenues and also staff safety as well as public safety in that regard. Right. We did unfortunately have a cyber attack and had to obviously act in response, recovery, remediation. And so I would have been directly involved in terms of steering the communication to the public and potentially affected individuals, including some re- recorded info sessions. And then I think also the future of work. So helping shape the model for future of work post-COVID is mm-hmm. something that I'm very proud of and very engaged in. Absolutely. And now that hopefully we're out of COVID now, do you have any initiatives that you're currently working on in terms of bringing back up the level of ridership? Because I know that's something that not just BC has been struggling with. It's something that we see in New York as well, for example. And so what are some ways in which you're trying to draw people back to taking public transit? Yeah, that's a good question. It has been a real focus for us ever since sort of the COVID recovery has happened. So we made sure that the safety measures were in place so that our customers could feel comfortable coming back. We've had promotions in terms of a like a sweepstakes for those who use travel with their compass card. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sort of welcomed everyone back to our system. And we are sort of looking ahead to the future travel demands for transit because I think they are permanently changed with hybrid work, in my view. So that's also a big focus of our efforts going forward. That's incredible. Gigi, I had mentioned earlier when we introduced you for this episode that you currently sit on the boards of Transportation Investment Corporation, Consumer Protection BC, as well as Union Gospel Mission. So what's your advice on balancing your work with joining the boards of non-legal organizations? I would really encourage people to do that. Lawyers particularly, I think, are highly sought after on boards. And I think really bring the expertise that can enhance from a governance perspective as well. Mm -hmm. I would encourage it for two reasons. It really allows you to see things through both a business lens and a board lens. So on the business lens, often we can get comfortable with our role as legal advisors. You know, we give the advice, we hand that over to the client, the client makes the business decisions, but then the opportunity to see things from a business perspective is quite enlightening and it further enhances our skills as legal advisors because we know what happens when the advice is delivered on the other hand. What is it like to be the recipient of that advice and having to make a business decision based on that? In terms of the governance lens, I would say that and this is speaking specifically to in-house counsel, we're really used to supporting and advising boards of directors in their work. But being on the other side of the table, you think in theory, you know what it's like to be on the other side because you're supporting their work and you're there at the board table. But Mm -hmm. it really does bring different considerations to the forefront when you are on the governing board. 
And then on the personal side, it's allowed me to hone my ability to voice my independent views that may differ from the majority view, but in a collaborative way and in a way toward building a consensus. So I think personally, I've found it very rewarding and enriching. Thank you so much. Out of the three boards that you're on, could you elaborate a bit more on how they vary in terms of mandate and size? Sure. So a Union Gospel Mission is a not-for-profit organization that serves the downtown east side as well as other vulnerable communities within the Metro Vancouver region. The board there is a little bit larger than the other two boards that you mentioned, but everyone is united in terms of working with management to fulfill its mandate and its mission. And I would say the similarities are also the other two boards are also very focused on their service for their mandate and mission. So Consumer Protection BC is a regulator that administers the consumer protection legislation, and it's very dedicated to that mandate, as is Transportation Investment Corporation, which is responsible for overseeing the delivery of major infrastructure transportation projects in the province, such as the Broadway subway project, the Patella Bridge replacement, to name a couple. Okay, yeah. So the work that you do on the board of the Transportation Investment Corporation complements very nicely with the work that you do at TransLink on a day-to-day basis. Yes. Yeah, that's great. And then we had some questions regarding your recent engagements with the community. So first off, we saw that you were designated as an alumni representative of the Peter A. Allard School of Law, which you attended. What did that entail and how would you encourage any Allard alumni to consider this position? So it was great fun to be on stage for the graduation ceremony to welcome and congratulate the grads just this past season. So that was very exciting, having been a grad many, many years ago myself. And I think it also gives me opportunities to support and encourage new grads in other ways, such as attending a welcome dinner, writing personalized notes to individual grads as well. I also serve on the Dean's Advisory Committee for the Law School that provides feedback on law school initiatives and programs as well. And I would encourage other alumni to contribute back to the UBC community in similar ways. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't know if you're familiar with our documentary, but I look like a lawyer, but that's been a piece that we've been trying to advocate and push for in various channels of education. So most recently, that was listed as mandatory viewing for incoming students at Allard. And I understand that it's made the list for recommended viewing at UVic. And something that I want to accomplish in the upcoming term as well is to try and implement that into the PLTC curriculum. And so it's really interesting to me when you're mentioning, especially about the Dean's Advisory Committee. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Now, thank you. You were recently a speaker at one of the Faculty BC Leadership Academy sessions. So for our listeners who are not familiar, the Leadership Academy was in its inaugural year for the 2022 to 2023 year. And it featured a cohort of associates ranging from two to six years of call. And the purpose of the Faculty Leadership Academy was to help this cohort in terms of advancing further with respect to developing leadership skills and just how to be a better advocate for oneself in the workplace and beyond. And Gigi was one of the speakers that attended our sessions. For people who are listening to this podcast and thinking about applying to future cohorts, what would you say about the program? Hopefully good things. (laughs) And can you briefly summarize what you spoke about with our inaugural cohort so they can get a taste? Sure, I'd be happy to. I was really impressed with the program from what I could observe and also from what I know of the curriculum from speaking with Mark Leung. 
that, you know, the participants are getting very practical advice and have the opportunity to learn from those who are further along in their careers. And it gives them a safe space for questions. It will help them forge connections with others in terms of a support network that's going to be invaluable throughout their career. And it really just helps us always keep an open and learning mind, you know, which at any point in your career, we should always do. In terms of the topic I was given, it was on people leadership within our organization, having given my managerial experience. And so one of the things I shared was the importance of being authentic and harnessing the collective wisdom of the team. So I found that the best solution is sometimes not the one I came into the room with. As a leader, you know, my job is to assemble a competent team with diverse skill sets and viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And my job is to facilitate a good discussion by drawing out those independent views and making sure those are appropriately discussed and addressed. And then we can ultimately arrive at the best solution. I think being authentic is definitely something that juniors tend to strive for and can sometimes struggle with because I feel like especially in the early stages of your career you might still be kind of just figuring out what you want and like what your place is in the profession and so I think that's a sound piece of advice to provide too. I think it's the leader's job to show everyone that we don't know it all we're not perfect show your vulnerabilities that's really one of the most important things we can do so that everyone can bring their best self. Yeah, that's a beautiful piece of advice. Thank you, Gigi. I'm starting my presidency term with FACL. And I think one thing that I struggle or worried about is when people think of FACL, I think their natural inclination is that FACL is quite junior. Like we have a lot of people within under five years of call and we have a lot of student members. But sometimes I think the difficulty is drawing up more senior people and more partners. And so we are grateful, especially for seniors such as yourself who are in positions of executive leadership with your respective organizations. We really appreciate it when you make the time to talk to us and especially address the cohort for our Leadership Academy. Congratulations on your new role. Oh, thank you. I think you gave me some tidbits to walk away with as well, right? Just approaching a situation or a problem by providing your input, but just being comfortable with the fact that the final solution may not be what you initially had presented and just being vulnerable and being comfortable with the fact that you don't know everything, but you'll just have to put your best foot forward and try to come up with a solution that hopefully addresses everything that's on the table. And then I've got a final parting question. What advice would you give to students, to lawyers who may be interested in in-house work as well for anybody who's considering executive leadership positions and organizations that they're part of, whether it's COO, the current position you hold, or CEO for the future? Sure. With respect to in-house specifically, I would say do your homework about the organization and its leaders and make sure it has a culture that aligns with your personal values because you're entering into a relationship is what you're doing. And so parting ways is not as easy as it might be with a firm client. So make sure you like the partner that you are entering to this relationship with. I would say also don't agree to take on an in-house position if they expect you to do all of the legal work. Mm -hmm. There are sometimes smaller organizations that may be bringing on someone in-house because they think they're going to replace all of the external work by having an in-house lawyer but you you do need external advisors for expertise 
for overflow from time to time and really for mentorship, especially if you're earlier on in your career. Right. So I think that be wary of those types of offers if they expect you to not use external counsel. Yeah. And then consider whether the role will provide sufficient variety to keep you engaged through your career. Mm-hmm. So if everything checks out, I would highly recommend trying in-house. It's very rewarding to see your advice being put into practice and do seek out an in-house mentor or a network of peers. And with respect to non-legal positions, I would say don't be afraid to try it. You know, push yourself to take personal risks. Often as lawyers, we may be a little bit risk adverse, but it can be really rewarding to try new things. And this is advice I have to give myself on a regular basis as well, (laughs) as I mentioned. And I often ask myself, well, what would I regret more, trying something or not trying something? And that can often help me make the decision. I think maybe speaking for myself and perhaps others who might be like me, we need to manage our perfectionist tendencies. Mm -hmm. So when you are now moving into a non-legal role, you're going to have to make decisions quickly and often with incomplete or imperfect information, and you have to get comfortable with that. So it's really about being comfortable with risk. You need to delegate to others who might not do things exactly the way you would do it, and you have to be okay with that and know how to provide guidance without undermining their confidence. And you may not have time to write the perfect memo, nor would that be necessarily the best way to communicate with your business peers. So you do have to adapt your communication style to be most effective in your environment. And your best assets as a lawyer will be your ability to analyze complex situations and exercise good judgment. So be confident in your abilities. But it is very exciting to be able to make business decisions And you can always go back. That's why I say to lawyers who are thinking about making the transition is that you have your legal expertise that's always going to be there for you should you wish to go back to being a lawyer full-time. That was a lot of good advice. So thank you so much and really appreciate your time today and being on the episode. And we look forward to seeing you around, hopefully at more Faculty BC events. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you, Fiona. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Faculty BC podcast. Visit our website at facultybc.ca and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at FacultBC. We hope you enjoyed our episode today and stay tuned for the next guest. If you have guest speaker suggestions, please email us at membership at facultybc.ca.